Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. It is well with my soul. I trust that you can say amen to that, that you agree because of the goodness and the grace and the mercy of our Lord that he has made it well. We're going to, let's go in our Bibles, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and this morning we're going to be in this closing section of the second chapter. Paul has already delivered the instruction about Jesus in this magnificent chapter, this Philippians 2. He's gone through the inventory of what Christ in the first part of the chapter, what he has blessed us with. And then what is the expectation if he has done all of this? What is the expectation that should be reflected and fleshed out in the congregation, in the church? Verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind. And then he moves into the illustration of Jesus, the greatest of all, the king of all, came and he took on our flesh and he showed us the way and he made a way for sinners and it required his humiliation, the cross, the burial, and then the resurrection and then his exaltation. And all of that leads then to a witness. And Paul is encouraging this church to be active in your obedience and don't wait until I get there. Now he's going to commend fellow laborers in the gospel. And in this closing section, he's going to talk about Timothy, Timotheus, and he's going to talk about Epaphroditus. Loved ones, there are many people who claim to be followers of Christ. And if you are here, and Jay already has given a wonderful gospel exhortation this morning, there are some people that would rightly say, I think it was even Gandhi who said, I would be a follower of Christ, but I've met his followers. There are people that would say, uh, they claim to be a Christian, and if that's what Christianity is, it doesn't work. I'm not buying it. Bad examples. If we're honest, we've all poorly reflected Christ more than once or a season in our own lives. But can I say this to you? Do not judge Christ upon his followers only. We can admit our failures to rightly reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. That's true for me. That's true for our church. That's true for all Christians. Some people will say, you know, I will go to church, but there are hypocrites in the church. Actually, if it is a gospel-centered church, it's the only place that hypocrisy goes to die. 
because we're saying we're not good enough and we're not worthy and he came for me and he has come for you. So we can embrace authenticity. In this letter, we see wonderful illustrations of Christian living lived out, rightly reflected. We learn, and last week we looked at Paul's example, that he was willing to be, and he was, his life was poured out. And we talked about that, and we gathered in our small groups to talk about that he was willing to have his life as a drink offering poured out upon the offering of their faith. Like the meat would be on the altar, and then the drink offering we talked about in our small group, if you've ever been to BD's Mongolian Barbecue and you hand them the bowl of all the stuff, the meat and everything else, and then you have a cup, and inside of that cup you have whatever, your seasonings, you know, the sauces, and then they pick it up and they look at you like, this is yours? And once they throw it on the meat, you can't say, actually, can I get that back? Can you put it back in the little cup there I want to take? I'm going to change my mind. It's gone. And it's all mingled together. And Paul, he said, that's his life. He said, I am gladly poured out on, on the offering of your faith. No regrets, no reserves, no retreats. That was Paul's life. D.A. Carson says it helpfully this way, much Christian character is as much caught as taught. That is, it is picked up by constant association with mature Christians who are modeling that faith. And it takes place all the time, whether we take it into account or not. That's why we worship together, walk together, and we work together. Because we're rubbing shoulders with one another. We're praying together. We're getting to know one another. And that's the good, the bad, and the ugly. The difficult but it all gets mixed together and gets worked out for the glory of God. Today, we're going to look at Paul's words and his commendation of this honorable associate named Timothy. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19, we're going to read down through 24. And this is what Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. This is the word of the Lord, and this is our section for study today. What should we learn? Okay, and now we're always motivated not to just gain more intellectual knowledge and just be fatheads, you know, theological. I know a lot about the Bible. That, that's, that's wonderful. What are you doing with that? How is that rightly being applied in our lives? What do we learn from what Paul has said about himself, what Paul is saying about Timothy? How do we learn this and then actually put it into practice in our lives? How do we apply it in, you know, today, this afternoon, even in this message? 
If the Holy Spirit prompts like, hey, this needs to go. This needs to be added. Here's some disobedience. Here's where you need to grow in obedience or trust. So Paul gives four marks of a faithful servant of the Lord. Here's a man who is content. We talked about envy this morning. He is not envious of Paul. He is a willing disciple and associate of the apostle Paul. So what do we need to learn? Number one, a faithful servant of the Lord is available. And we see this in verse 19. Paul's making, a, making some plans about this younger man of God, Timothy. He's available. Good leaders are willing to serve while making room for others to grow up in the healthiest environment possible. Let me say that again. Good leaders are willing to serve while making room for others to grow up in the healthiest environment possible. It's not all about Paul. Paul is sending a letter of commendation to use all of his leverage with that church that he loves to make room for them to receive Timothy. That is not a worldly model of ministry. That is a gospel-centered, Christ-centered, humble model of ministry. And Paul commended him. Can I ask you the question? You've written down the word available. Do you have capacity in your schedule, in your weekly schedule, to serve the Lord? Are you available? It all starts there. You can have the ability, you know, till the cows come home. If you're not available, it doesn't do anybody any good. If you don't have the capacity, your schedule is too full for the God of all creation, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and I just don't have any time to do anything for him. That should be the reddest flag in anyone's mind who also says, yes, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. So where does this begin? It begins by start. Start making plans to serve the Lord. And Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. They're making plans, and that's where it all begins. It will never happen by chance. It will never happen with when I have enough time left over. When I have enough resources left over, then, then, I'll, then I'll square up with the Lord. You'll die before that happens, and then it's too late. We talk about our resources, time, talent, and treasure. And everybody that I'm looking at, and you're looking at somebody who's been given time, talents, and treasure, but all in different amounts. But we've all been borrowed time, talent, and treasure for one overarching purpose, to bring glory to our Father in heaven. And we will be responsible for this. Why would we wait? Why would we say, oh, maybe next week? Oh, maybe next month? Oh, you know, I've been saved, but I haven't been baptized. Well, maybe next year. Why? Why would we procrastinate on obedience? That's a question that sensible people have to work out. Why am I waiting? They started. Paul started. Here's what we're planning on doing. This is what we hope to do. His hope wasn't an idle wish, but it was an intense longing 
I'm leaning toward, working toward, striving toward getting Timothy to you as soon as I possibly can. So who is this Timotheus, all right? His name, if you break it down, Tim, the Tim, Timotheus, the, the first part of it, come time, honor, okay, Tim. And then you have the last part, Theos, God, one who honors God. So he's looking to send Timothy. I want, he honors the Lord, and I'm looking to send him to you. Timothy was a native of Lystra in the province of Galatia, modern-day Turkey. His mother was Jewish. Her name was Eunice. His father was a Greek. We don't know his name. Possibly he was not a believer. Paul is the one we learn in Acts 14 that led Timothy to Christ, possibly during that first missionary journey when he visited Lystra. Timothy was influenced by his mother, and he was influenced by his grandmother, these Jewish women that poured into his life. Oh, can we just pause for a moment and say thank you, God, for grandmothers and great-grandmothers and mothers who poured gospel ministry into their children and some who didn't have children of their own, and they poured into the children of other people. Can all God's people say amen, thank you, God, right? So here's a, a tool, a mighty servant of the Lord, and we have in Scripture his grandmother and his mother. They reared him, they loved him, they trained him. And Paul chose to have Timothy because he had that Jewish, a Jewish mother and a Greek father, so he, he wasn't circumcised, so he, he was a mixed race. And so for Paul's ministry to be effective, he tells us, you know, we see in uh, Acts 16, and it's even mentioned in Galatians, where for, Jew, for a, a Jewish young boy who is half Jewish to have ministry effective with Jewish people, then Paul said, Timothy, to go on ministry with me, I need you to be circumcised so that Jewish people don't think that you are ashamed of your Jewish heritage. It has nothing to do with salvation. It has nothing to do with works. It has everything to do with we want to win a hearing with Jewish people, and if they think that you're ashamed of your Jewish heritage, they're not going to listen to us. And Timothy said, all right. Well, there's a willing, humble servant of the Lord. Need I say more? By the time Paul wrote this letter, Timothy had been with Paul for probably about 10 years as his traveling companion. They were a wonderful team. They were a great team. Loved ones, we all must begin somewhere. We have to start somewhere. Paul depended on Timothy. He loved him. He depended on him. He viewed him as a son in the faith. He needed Timothy with him. There was something going on. Maybe it was all those people out there preaching in this one, and, and, and he was having Timothy address that. We don't know what the situation was, but Paul is saying, as soon as it goes well with me, I'm just going to see how it goes with me. I want to get him to you. Paul needed him there. Paul depended on him there, but Paul was willing to sacrificially forego and give up Timothy for a while if it would help the believers in Philippi. As we're reading through the Old Testament, many of us we came across today in our reading where the baton is handed from Moses down to Joshua, the associate. And he's going to go into the land that Moses wasn't allowed to go. 
and he's given a commission. But then what is Joshua going to do? And Moses would die. And then Joshua comes to a point where what will he do with all of that training? What will he do with that position of leadership? Well, this is what he says. Like Paul down to Timothy was Moses down to Joshua. Joshua 24, 15. Here's Moses' disciple. This is what he says. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but listen to what Joshua says, and, and this is where you hear that he was captured, he was given over to Yahweh. But as for me and my house, read it with me, we will serve the Lord. But as for me and my house, say it with me, we will serve the Lord. Now I can have you repeat that. That doesn't translate into how men you lead your families, but it's a beginning. It's a starting place that we can look at Joshua and say, have I said that? <laughs> have I made this vow to the Lord and before my family that I will lead as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? It starts by making a plan. And then it's followed up with submitting all planning to the Lord. Submit all planning to the Lord. See, Paul was not omniscient. He was not Jesus Christ. Yes, he was an apostle, but he didn't know everything. He didn't know how things would go, but he made plans. He had goals. He had dreams. He had desires. But his plans were all subject to the sovereign and omnipotent hand of his master. So it was his hope, it was his deep longing, intense desire that Timothy would get to them as soon as possible. 1 Corinthians 4.19, Paul says to the church at Corinth, he says, but I will come to you soon, read the next four words with me, if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. Like I'm, I'm coming. If the Lord will allow me, I'm coming. In James chapter 4, the half-brother of Jesus, he says in verse 13, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Hmm. Yeah, you know your bank is going to be still good a year from now? Your job's going to be there a year from now. Your health is going to be there a year from now. Verse 14, yet you do not know what, forget the year. You don't know what Monday will bring, and neither do I. But the Lord does. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you, listen now, are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes, not annihilated, taken from sight of the living to another location. Verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. Where did he learn that from, right? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Paul and James were following the same master. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So isn't that verse, that is a description of how we are proceeding even with a building project, especially with a building project. If the Lord wills, 
And the Lord has been gracious and the Lord has been generous and opened up generosity in the hearts of his people. If the Lord wills, he still has some more working out to do to make that a possibility and make that a reality. If the Lord wills. It's planning this way, but it is absolutely making plans. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. It means we can make a plan to do this and if the Lord wills, we'll do that. And I can make a plan this afternoon to be here, but it might be I'll be there. But the Lord is sovereign over all these plans. Verse 16, as it is, and he goes back to the people saying, today I'm going to go here and there, and for this year I'm going to make money, and I'm going to do this and all my plans. And as it is, you boast in your arrogance. Is that a big deal? Just leave God out of your plans. Hmm. All such Boasting is evil. Verse 17, so whoever knows the right thing to do it, to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. That's anything we learn that we should do this and we're doing that. It's sin. What do we do with sin? Go to the cross, go to Jesus. That's why he died. He forgives. So start by making plans to serve the Lord. Submit all of those plans to our God who is sovereign. And then let her see, serve. Serve the Lord and help others know the joy of obedience. Isn't that what Paul is doing? Doesn't, he, he's not to try to put them under his thumb and under his foot and under his control. He wants them to know the joy of obeying the Lord. He wants them to know the joy of serving the Lord, the joy of obedience. Paul practiced what he preached. We saw that. Chapter 2, look, look just up there earlier in the, in the passage, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Isn't that what Paul is doing? I need Timothy, but I'm willing to send him to you, and I'm going to get him to you as soon as I possibly can. So let me ask you again. Do you have the capacity to serve the Lord in a regular, weekly, a regular way? Or is that yet not made it into your schedule? You're more important. Now listen, this is, this is hard, and I don't want to come across harsh, but you, this is the brass tacks. You and your schedule and your accounts and your whatever is what you're saying when we don't have time for the Lord is I am more important than God. My fill in the blank is more important than God. That's where we need to say, Lord, forgive me and help me to know the joy of obedience. Forgive me. The gospel only moves forward through sacrifice, loved ones. The gospel only moves forward through sacrifice. It never moves forward with leftover. It never moves over with, well, if we, we'll see what we can do. Paul was planning to send Timothy to encourage them. Timothy was probably with Paul when the church was planted there, so he knew the Philippians. He loved the Philippians. Paul might have left Timothy there while he was sent out and persecuted. Timothy might have stayed there to help that fledgling church get going. Timothy was a younger man. Highly likely he'd be nervous. Like, oh man, I'm not Paul. 
you know, wouldn't it be better? Paul, you sure you don't want to go with me, Paul? Can I help you get out of prison? Come on, Paul. You... No, but I'm willing. I'll get there. Do you realize it would have been an 800-mile one-way trip for Timothy to get there? Okay, a little perspective on distance. That's walking from here to where Ginger and I met at college in Springfield, Missouri, one way. 800 miles, roughly. Think about that. The other side of Missouri, that's how far that Timothy would have to walk to get to these people. Now tell me that's not love. And Timothy would get there as soon as he possibly could. Go with me to 1 Timothy 4 in your Bibles. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Listen to the, to the weight that Paul would set down on Timothy, this younger man. And what is your responsibility, Timothy? Yes, in the, in the last days, which Paul believed he was in the last days, so we need not get overly worked up about, are we in the last days? Yes. Paul, you in the last days? Yes. Okay. And, and all these false teachers and people come and all, the, all these things, he lists those. But then he says, but you, Timothy, here's what I want you to do. This is the expectation uh, in ministry for an honorable associate. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive. That's ministry. Because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So Timothy, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by the prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Hey, Timothy, keep a close, close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You hear the weight that Paul settled down on Timothy's shoulders in his calling in ministry? Paul planned himself to get there. He was waiting to hear the positive news that Timothy would go 800 miles and come back 800 miles. And he was waiting. I'm waiting on the news to come back. I'm waiting on the report to come back that you haven't waited to be obedient, but that you're already experiencing the goodness of God. He was confident. He was confident in the power and authority of the word of God, the sufficiency of scripture, the power of the Holy Spirit, and this trustworthy servant, this honorable associate, Timothy, get there and then come back. So we must be available, and secondly, we must be usable. We see this in verse 20. We must be usable. 
You ever work somewhere and somebody was really talented, but they wouldn't do anything? They had all the training. And you say, hey, can you help? No. What? Great leaders add great value because they're more concerned about the needs of others than their own. My rights. Well, we hear that quite a bit today, don't we? Paul says, for I have no one like him. Like-minded. This kind of a leader is rare. Okay, a usable person. They have the ability. They have the capability. But they're usable. They're willing. This is, a, this is a rare leader, but it doesn't have to be this way. There's not a limited number, um, you know, that only a few people can be. This, is, this should be all Christians, that we stand out, that we're refreshing wherever we go, wherever we work, that there's something different, distinctive about us because we're usable in a right way. There's plenty of room within the church for more and more leaders to be like-minded, like Timothy was with Paul. Really, that that word is translated one-souled. This kind of a person, they they pay attention to the the little things. They do the little things well. They're taking cues from the person that's leading before them, and they're saying what matters and what's important, and they're watching, and they're leaning in, and they're saying, how can I help? How can I be useful? This is a rare person. Discipleship is all about reproduction. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples, which is why we're here today. This is what the apostles did. Servant leadership is Christ-like leadership. You want to be the greatest? What does Jesus say to do? Serve. And he, the greatest of all, demonstrated that in John 13 and throughout his entire life and ministry and death. 3 John chapter 5. This is how John the apostle, he instructs the church. He's doing very similarly what Paul is doing to the Philippians. Hey, I'm sending to you my guy, Timothy, and I'm sending back to you your guy, Epaphroditus, and here's the kind of reception that you need to provide for these men. John, the apostle, is almost doing the same thing. And he says in 3 John uh, verse 5, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Okay, that is a verse that instructs us when the sotirs come and they visit us in, I think, May. I'm working to try to get Isaac Shaw and Gloria here in April. So when someone comes and they visit, this is the verse that we open up generosity for them. We take care of them. We feed them. We house them. And we give to them a blessing so that when they go on their way, it looks like this. You, do, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of what if Jesus visited? What would you do for him? Okay, do that for these partners in ministry. And you know what? You do that. You did that for Isaac Jr. You do that for everybody that comes. And I just, that gives me joy because you can't make that happen. You can't make that kind of generosity happen in the hearts of people. I know God is doing that. 
Verse 7, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Verse 8, therefore we ought to support people like this that we may be fellow workers for the truth. That's what a mission partner is. Fellow workers, not for us, for the truth. Then he says this in verse 9, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, Okay, what's wrong with this guy, Diotrephes, who likes to put himself where? First. Uh, I will be on the first committee of the first and the first. I'm the first. Everything is the first. Diotrephes, Diotrephes, you know, uh, you know this pulpit donated by Diotrephes. You know, that, that table I gave, whatever. They have to have their name always be Diotrephes, Diotrephes. We love Diotrephes. Loves to put himself first does not acknowledge our authority, the apostles. Verse 10, so if I come, uh uh-oh, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. They don't sing my Diotrephes song, so we're not giving them anything. Well, who are you? I'm Diotrephes. And everything that happens in the church goes through me. And John says, no, a hard no. I'll be there soon, and I'm going to deal with him. This is a big deal. Beloved, verse 11, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Now, don't you wish the good fruit would overtake the bad fruit in the bowl? It doesn't work that way, does it? So here John is saying you got to deal with Diotrephes. If you don't deal with him, I'll be there. I'll deal with him. Do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does what Diotrephes is doing, I don't care what he says, he has not seen God. He's a liar. Because God wouldn't do this in the church. He would minister for the truth and for people, not for self, self-glory, kingdom of me, right? I keep using that illustration. I keep stealing it. Listen to the contrast in verse 12. Demetrius. Ah, Demetrius. He has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. Why did he have to say that? Because it doesn't matter if everyone says, we love Demetrius, he is the man. But if he's contrary to the truth, I don't care how many members your church has. If you're contrary to the gospel and you're contrary to the word of God, if you're instructing your people to unhinge from the Old Testament and unhinge from scripture, you are a false teacher. So it doesn't matter if the whole everybody buys your books goes, hires you to speak, whatever it may be, if the truth is you're contradicting the truth, you are out of line and there's a judgment coming. And and here John says, we also add our testimony and you know that our testimony is true. Oh Lord, help us. Help us to be like Demetrius. So this leader is rare, this usable leader, this like-minded leader, and this leader is real. They're authentic. What you see is what you get because this person is genuine. They're genuine. That Christianity is where the counterfeit goes to die. 
There's no room. We can be authentic. God already knows everything about me. Why do I have to hide that from anybody then? And he loves me. And he's forgiven me and he's changing me. He's not leaving me in my state of sinfulness and brokenness. He is binding me up in the gospel and remaking me. Timothy had some growing up to do. And Paul was committed to investing into him. He was committed to give him opportunities so that he could step forward and he could grow. He could rely on the Lord and grow in grace. So loved ones, can I just ask us the question as a church family this morning, are we seeing this type of leadership being developed in this congregation? When we think about our children's ministry, we think about our youth ministry. We think about our media ministry back there. We think about our music ministry. We think about small group ministry and small group leaders. Think about eldership and how gracious the Lord has been to give me these men that serve with me. Oh, I'm so thankful. As we're preparing and we're, we're prayerfully working toward the office of deacon in a biblical way, do you see that God is doing this, that usable leaders, they're rare, they're, they're real, but they're being grown and developed. But we're not a microwave. We're a crockpot for ministry. You realize that? We're the crockpot. You love the crockpot? I love the crockpot. It takes time. But over time, I'm looking at faces I've been looking at for a decade and a half now. We might be a little older than when we, you know, look a little older than when we started out. But I'm seeing God's grace work in individuals, in marriages, in families. People that I'm looking at have been through good times and hard times, been through distant times and close times, and God continues to work his will in our lives for our good and for his glory. Number three, not only are these leaders available and usable, but they're humble. They're humble. Paul says, I've had no one like this guy like Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You see, the greatest leaders are consumed with the mission. They're not preoccupied with self. They're mission-minded. They're humble. So what are we learning from what Paul is saying about Timothy here? his character, that we need to be compassionate. We need to be sympathetic to the needs of others. That so many people are consumed with, they focus on themselves, but here we see in Timothy, he possesses the character of humility. He was burdened for others. This type of disposition, loved ones, does not happen by accident. Setting the needs of the people in your family before your own, that does not happen by accident. Setting the needs of your brothers and sisters in the church before your own, that doesn't happen by accident. And you'll never get around to it if you're just waiting on getting around to it. Setting the the need of the gospel to an unbeliever that you work with or live around, it will never happen by accident, by chance. It happens as we plan 
submit our plans to the Lord and get on it. Go about serving, being sympathetic to the needs of others. And this is what Paul says, this guy, Timothy, I'm sending you, he cares about you. He cares about you. He cares about me more than he cares about himself. And if I say walk 800 miles and come back, he says, all right, Paul, I'll, I'll see you soon. Think about that. I don't think we'll be trying that for a, like a, a, an associate to work at Grace, walk to Springfield, Missouri, and come back and then see how, we, see how it went. But that's what Timothy was willing to do. First, 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says this in verse 28, and apart from other things, this is what Paul dealt with. He just listed shipwrecks, left for dead, night and day in the deep, like all kinds of things. And he says, but you want to tell, can I tell you what really gets me? He says, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. What really pressed on Paul was his anxiety for all the churches, the pressure. So be sympathetic to the needs of others and then live seeking the interests of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul says. For they all seek their own interests, but not Timothy. Oh, he is like-minded. This is my guy. He isn't seeking his own interests. He is actually not even seeking your interest most primarily. He's seeking the interests of the master and how that works out in your lives. Live seeking the interests of Jesus Christ. This is how the godly are we're driven by the truth, by the reality of glorifying Christ. Sadly, in Paul's day, many, they did not prioritize the truth or grace or the work of the gospel before their own interests, their own kingdoms. A great friend is one who loves you and serves you like Jesus. And let me ask you all, let's ask ourselves the question, do we have friends like this? Do we have friends that love us and serve us like Christ? And then let me take that question one step further. Do we love people that way? Oh, it's easy to say, who are my friends? Who are the people that are doing this for me? It's, it's a whole other ballgame to say, and who am I serving like that? And I'll leave it up to the Lord if that ever comes back. I'll serve you the way that I would serve if Jesus was sitting here. And the Lord is giving us a faith family that's committed to that. And I praise him for that. Listen to what Paul, when he shares his heartbreak, okay, how Timothy stands out. And later on, he writes in 2 Timothy 1.15, and he says, Timothy, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. And then he lists two guys. Just, you, you, can we even begin, I don't think we can, that we can even comprehend the broken heart that Paul had, that all of the other associates that he had in Asia, they all turned away from him and, and abandoned him. And he loved them, and they loved not him that way. They left him. In 2 Corinthians 4.10, he says, For Demas, where was his love? in love with this present world, has deserted me. He left me. Why? Because he loves him. He loves this world. He loves his own life. 
Paul lived and he died for the cause of Christ. And Timothy was following in his footsteps. And as Paul was going to be poured out, he's handing the baton to Timothy. You're next, buddy. You're next. You're in the batter's box and it's about to be the pitch coming at you and I'll be with Jesus. So he's, he's preparing Timothy not just for the fun of ministry, but for the focus of ministry. 1 Timothy 6.11, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. 2 Timothy 4, verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. You, you want to know the weight that settles on me, that on anyone who stands to deliver a message here? This is the weight. Preach the word. Not my ideas, not my thoughts, not my opinions. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Well, when is that? That's all the time. It's either deer season or it's not deer season. It's all the time. I mean, that's what he's saying. Don't give me any excuses about, oh, I didn't think it was the time to be preaching the word. Yep, it's time. <laughs> well, I thought that was last week. Yeah, it was last week. What about next week? Yep, next week. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Well, what, what is preaching, okay? Paraphrase, step on toes. But if I borrow from the earlier verse, step on your own toes first, boy. Timothy, son. Let the gospel work here first before you bring the message for, I think that they need and what they need. No, 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 no. To pay attention to yourself, okay? You can pray for me in that. Lord, help wise to pay attention to himself first and then bring the heat. That's what he's saying. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Huh, I wonder when that will be. And endure suffering. Because if you hold to the truth and you preach the word, suffering is guaranteed. You will not be accepted by the culture. Do the work of an evangelist and Timothy and every other man of God to follow him, fulfill your ministry. And every person of God, every believer in Jesus Christ, fulfill your ministry. You're part of the body. What is your ministry? That goes back to, have you made room for serving the King of Kings? If we're humble, we will. And lastly, number four, reliable. Helpful leaders, these faithful leaders, they remain loyal and dependable through every season in life. Listen to what Paul says. He says, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served me, served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it'll go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. What do we have in this, this leader? He's reliable. You can count on this guy. He's gonna be there. And Paul's saying, you know this about him. If I send him to you, he's gonna show up. 
He's not going to get lost. You remember Old Testament when <laughs> Joseph's brothers, he finally says, it's me, it's Joseph, I'm alive. And, and what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And hey, go home and take your brother and go back and see our dad and bring, bring dad back down to Egypt. And don't get lost on the way. Like, stay on the course, boys. Go home, get dad, and come back. And beware lest some mischief overtake you. I can't fully depend on you to get there and back. Paul doesn't have that worry about Timothy. He has undeniable worth. He had demonstrated great, immense value to Paul and to the churches, and ultimately to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul is commending him to the believers. This guy had been tried by fire. That proven worth, it translates as the word dokumen, right? And, and the person, it was the dokumas, that was the person that would go around and they would test money. What do we have now? The little marker, right? You hand them the money and they go, whoop, and they pull it out and they put the mark on it and they wait for it to, yep, it's good. Or, it hasn't happened yet, hope it never happens, where'd you get this, you know? Like, uh, I don't know, the bank, okay? That was a person that would test money, and if they shaved the money and it didn't meet the test, it was, it was you had to go back in and get reminted. This guy had been tested by fire. Believers are commanded many times in the New Testament to prove, same word, test Test ourselves. Test the will of God. Test what teachers and preachers say. Test the spirits. So it's important that Paul is, he's setting Timothy before this church so that they would quickly and humbly listen to him and not waste the visit with, well, we're not really sure if we should listen to Timothy. Let's get a meeting together and we'll take a vote and we'll see if we'll, like, nonsense. I'm sending you Timothy. This is a trustworthy guy. He'll get there. Listen to him and get ready and obey, and I can't wait till he gets back. Undeniable worth, unbreakable bond. Unbreakable bond. Timothy says, this is like a son to me. So you love me and you take care of me? How about you take care of my, my son in the faith when he shows up? Treat him the way you would treat me. Don't you hear the love of an older man for a younger man? Making room for a younger man to grow up in the best possible environment? which should be in the church. Paul was proud of him. Paul loved him. Paul was thankful for him. And we see this about Timothy, that he's going to have a, a difficult journey ahead of, ahead of him. It's a difficult task. I'm, Paul, you're not going with me. I'm going by myself on this one. Solo trip here? And we see unwavering ministry. This guy is unflinching. Paul and Timothy were completely driven by the gospel. They would do whatever needed to be done for the sake of their master. So here we see that Timothy is, at best, a servant. What needs to be done? How can I get involved? Jesus illustrated servant leadership perfectly. His whole life could be summed up in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Well, how much was he going to serve? And to give his life as a ransom for many. And it comes down to that night of his betrayal, Luke twenty-two forty-two, saying, Father, he's praying, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
Jesus demonstrated, he led, he taught that. The apostles, they exhibited servant leadership clearly. They were devoted to serving Christ, serving the church in the right way. We saw that in Philippians 1.1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus. Acts 6.2, the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. We can't do that. Acts 6, 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You choose seven men. They will take care of the tables. Important need, but not most important. We will be devoted. We will be servants of the word of God and we will be servants to prayer. Well, that was Jesus and that's the apostles. What about the church from then on? It requires servant leadership all the time. Servant leadership. The way up is down. The the path to greatness is a path of serving like Jesus. So Paul was about to send Timothy on a difficult journey. Paul wanted to be there himself, but he wanted Timothy to go in his place. And Timothy was willing to do what needed to be done. What a willing servant. Take to heart the teaching of our master, Luke 22. Here they are along along the road following Jesus. These are the guys, right? A dispute arose among them, like a bunch of kids, as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Oh, I think I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. No, you're the greatest. You're definitely not the greatest. I'm the greatest. And he said to them, verse 25, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as, read it with me, one who serves. God, make us leaders like that. Servant leaders. Galatians 5.13, it's not just for the, the spiritual leaders in the church, it's for everybody. And Paul says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Serve me. No, 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 no. But through love, read it with me, serve one another. Through love, serve one another. That's a command for every believer. So what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 4.2? Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found Faithful. Faithful. Well, that's this whole thing. Oh, Lord, may we be faithful. Look at these characteristics. The the marks of a faithful servant here that we see, Paul to Timothy, he's available, usable. She's humble, reliable. These These are believers. They're available, usable, humble, reliable. You know, I, I don't share a lot, but as I grew up, you know, in a pastor's home and people would always be like, you know, Brian, you want to be a pastor one day? You know, no, no. There's a lot of books in my dad's office. I was like, Ugh, I don't want to study in books. Who wants books? You know, give me cars, give me trucks. Nobody wants books. But you know what God began developing in me first? It was a heart to serve. I actually am more comfortable in the role of associate. That's my natural. I like to take lead from somebody else and what needs to be done and how can I help you accomplish that? But the Lord, through certain events, changed my direction in life by bringing me here. And the Lord had to do that. But here's the deal, loved ones. It's that 
we all have to go through the process of being willing to say, Lord, you do with my life whatever you want because you're God, I'm not. And what has the Lord done? He's stretched me, he's grown me, and he's given people, I'm looking at a room full of people that I praise God for you as honorable associates. That we're making room for others to come in to know the joy of obedience. And we all can take this and say, Lord, I get it from Paul. I see what kind of guy he was. I can see what kind of guy Timothy was. Will you make me more like Jesus and help me to grow in my availability and help me to grow and be more usable wherever I'm at and help me to always be humble and help me, Lord, to be reliable to all of the people that are in my life, my family, my church family, my community, help me to be reliable trustworthy and who gets the glory and who gets the praise that's right he does and all god's people are good with that he is worthy he is gracious he is good he is the king of kings are we serving him in the way that he deserves let's stand together Father in heaven, none of us are worthy. We just keep coming back to that truth. There's nothing we can do in religious efforts to remove one sin, to improve our standing with you. It's all holy, totally, completely of grace that you in love, you came down to us. And you, Lord Jesus, live the life that we could never live. And you died the death that we deserve to die. And you were buried and you rose again and you ascended and you are at the right hand of the Father and you are the King of kings and Lord of lords and we worship you and we invite those who have never surrendered to you to do so right now and admit their sin and confess you as Lord and live the rest of their lives in the joy of obeying the only good master and king, Jesus. Thank you for your grace, and thank you for your word, and thank you for your church and your spirit that it dwells in every believer. We love you. Make us more like Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.